1: The Telegraph.
0: the Telegraph podcasts.
1: He's going to score under the post. JJ Williams. The Lions leap in the air. These are the days that you never believe will come again. To win for a line for the Lions in a Test match is the ultimate. <laughs>
0: Hello and welcome to Full Contact with the Telegraph and this miniseries, Brian's Lions. Over the course of the next few weeks, as we build up to the 2021 Lions Tour of South Africa, I'll be speaking to the great and the good of Lions tours gone by. And for our second instalment, I'll be discussing what it's like to face the Lions and the pressure of facing a side you can only ever play once Every 12 years, I'm delighted to see joining me all the way from the other side of the world is the former South African captain and World Cup winner and series winner in 2009. It's John Schmidt. Hello, John.:, How are you doing, Brian you Well.: I'm not too bad, mate. Look, we've gone at length about why it's special over here to be a line, and it really is. I know that from personal experience, but I'd like to get the opposing point of view. Is it special? to play against the Lions, still, even in this world of professionalism and the ubiquity of the World Cups. If it is so, why is that so? I think it's become more special, Brian, just
1: because of how the game has changed commercially and uh, we look at all these tournaments and things that happen annually all the time. I mean, I look just to the fact that we play the All Blacks, well, we used to, Uh, we play (laughs) the All Blacks three times a year. I think if there's anything that is sort of the last of the traditional way of rugby when it comes to touring and facing a team um, it's got to be this British and Irish Lions opportunity. So for us it's 12 years, for you blokes it's every 4 years but there's something extremely special around uh, being able to get your timing right, get your injuries right. Yeah. It's much harder to play against the Lions team than it is to, to make a World Cup.
0: Well, let tell you what, you played on, on two separate tours. We'll go into the 2009 very much in detail but let's go back to to ninety seven, you're a young pro then, about nineteen somewhere thereabouts. You spent a small part on the tour. You didn't play the test team, but what are your memories of that series? Well, you see,
1: that was the first taste I ever had of professional rugby. I was in my second week in the in the in the premier team of, of the of the Natal Sharks at the time. I've been I've been basically pulled up Brian because I think there were about 17 injuries (laughs) Robbie Kempson had been banned for for beating up someone again and so (laughs) I don't think there was anyone else and so I got called up the week before and then this was the second opportunity and I was up against the Lions and I got a few minutes and Diane came up to me afterwards and wanted to swap jerseys but I didn't know if I'd ever play for the Sharks again and and this was a one-off jersey which we were able to keep so I I said to him, I'd love to, but I really can't give this away. I might never play for the Sharks again. <laughs> and he, was, he, was, he was quite taken aback. And when he, when he took the story back, it was good old fun bass Jason Leonard, who waltzed over about 20 minutes later and actually handed me his jersey and wished me luck for my career. And that, I think, is when I truly realized the significance and the uniqueness of rugby union as a sport. We are delighted to, to be here. The Lions back in South Africa After 12 years, a very evocative series that lie ahead of us and uh, we're looking forward to it. Um, We've had a a good week in camp already before coming here and that's been very successful and we'd like to think that it's going to continue to be successful uh, over the next week before we play our first game.
0: Let's move on to 2009. To set the context, you're reigning world champions, but you're coming off the back of a mixed 2008. You've got a new coach, Peter Villiers the Springboks had lost the series the previous time, the 12 years in 97. So what, can you remember what you thought about when the Lions squad was announced? Any thoughts on that? So for
1: us, it was, a, it was a, an opportunity for a lot of us older dogs who'd, who'd signed contracts overseas to make a decision as to what to do in terms of coming back. And Peter de Villiers was, it was a, a massive moment in South African rugby, the first coach of, of color in this country. And, uh, to be a part of that was, was one thing. And then to be a part of it and, and back up a World Cup win with a, a, you know, the first coach of colour in a, in a Lions series. So it was the one thing that brought us all back. Percy came back. You know, I, you know, I came back. Victor came back. And we took on this challenge. And so when the Lions touring squad was announced, we knew we were up against it. And But you know, the one thing that stood out for us, Brian, was around uh, it's one thing to pick a squad. It's an entirely different challenge to pick a starting 15. And yeah. to pick the right 15 is probably the biggest and most important factor for any Lions coach.
0: As, you, as you're on the other side of it, you're trying to get into the test team and you're trying to gauge on the way there, if I'm in the Saturday team or if I'm in this particular one, he's definitely going to play. So if I'm in the team that with him, does it mean I'm definitely going to play. But on the other side of it, you've got two decisions to make, haven't you? You've got, so On the one hand, you can keep your powder dry and not play any test players and then suddenly bang, you get in there and the Lions are facing something that they've never seen before. Or you can say, well, look, we need to give them some time to play against the Lions, but then, you know, they'll have played the players as well. How do you reckon the best way to go about it is? How do you do it on that occasion?
1: I think you can always delve into mistakes of the past. So you can learn from, I think, the things that have happened. And, and, and I think it's it's on the on the tours that you guys have got right you've sort of stuck to your guns in terms of believing in what your best combination of 15 starters is. Yeah. And then keeping those guys um active enough in the matches before so that they're not, you know, physically uh unprepared, but also not killing them so that they are able to to accept the onslaught of what's coming which is three test matches bearing in mind it's pretty much South Africa will keep all of their test players, uh, well, most of the starting 15 out of any of those preamble games. And so, and and then there's the the tricky part about a coach getting wrapped up in his selection of his team by looking at what he thinks he might face against the Springboks. And it's this age old thing that makes me, it makes me laugh every time. but you know, everyone always talks about, oh, you've got to be physical against South Africa. But I mean, it's it's been like for hundred years. Yes. it always yes. will be. Yes, you know. So <laughs> nothing's different. You know, it's it's we're, we're not a a forty offload team uh, in eighty minutes. We're a pretty big, robust pack of forwards with a couple of backs who can 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 do a few things out wide. But it really is, I think, for alliance coaches, it's it's about picking a team that he thinks can bring the best out of the British and Irish uh, region mm-hmm. and, and showing what that can do against the Springboks. To think about who you're going to play against Ch- Ch- Ches and Colby or who your front row is going to be because of you know, that what happened in the final two years ago, that, that I think sometimes can distract a coach from, from what he has in
0: front of him. Yeah, and also, if you're constantly second-guessing, you, you lose, to me, you, you, you lose sometimes the focus on what you need to do well first. Let's play that against that. Let, let, tell you what, let's get our thing right first. See, we don't get our thing right first. It doesn't matter who plays, because it's not going to be good enough. Oh, we, were, we were playing quite well.
1: When we, when we did what we wanted to do, we were, we were getting over the game line and we were, we were opening them up a bit. And the more we did that, um, you know, the, the stronger we grew. Uh, you know, that was a, bit, a very bad try to concede off the two mauls, uh, and that, that hurt us badly. But the the scores from the penalties killed us as well. I mean, geez, if, uh, if a few of those tries had stuck, would have been game over and we would have won it, you know.
0: I read recently that you said you were more nervous for the first test, the build-up for 2009, than you were for the World Cup final. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Mate, there was just there was so much riding on that first test, and I uh, remember the reason why f- for my nerves were so much higher than usual is that I'd uh, gone from being a hooker in uh, in this O seven World Cup to being the tight head for the series, and uh, you know I, I pretty much knew you know, in, in, and that's why I speak about selection. You know, for me, when they announced the first team, and take nothing away from Gethin, I was delighted Gethin was selected at loosehead because yeah. I could think of nothing worse than <laughs> facing Andrew Sheridan. You know, yes. we have taken <laughs> a lot away from the the Lions' ability to play around the park, but. It would have been a nightmare for me. So, you know, for me, the the first bit of, of, I guess, of of a breath of fresh air was the fact that I didn't have to face the the beast of Andrew Sheridan. But uh, it was a a massively nervous time for me as an individual because of what we're riding on, what had happened 12 years ago, and the fact that I was playing out of position.
0: Well, funnily enough, I mean, if my recollection is right, I'm, I'm, I'm certain it is, the scrum was a vital part of that. In my opinion, it shouldn't have been that way around, but um, you've mentioned no. your delight at not having to play Sheridan, and I understand that. It seems to me that South Africa, um, above everyone else, are able to turn scrum domination into real points, into real domination around the field. Now Is that, is that, a, is that a constant technique? Is it a mindset? Is it, mindset? Uh, is it no. right? Well Brian, I think and
1: you'll I think you'll enjoy my answer to this more than most. But you know, back a long, long time ago, South African packs of forwards did whatever it took to intimidate and, and fight the opponent. I yep. mean there was it was tough to play in the seventies and eighties and even the nineties when I was a kid I got smashed up as a as a kid. Yeah. And um, the scrum is the last legal form of warfare. In 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 the modern game, I mean, there's cameras on everyone at every angle, you know. So the scrum is the last place where you can actually get in the ring and and smash a right hook and see what happens to the opponent. And South Africans get a massive amount of confidence out of that warfare situation, as you well know. So, um, and and the reason why it's such a, well, still such a loved part of the game. And I go around to kids and I and I always have to give them a sort of a safety first on scrums, but. It is something that you you are taught to love from an early age. So mm-hmm. the scrum is the last part of warfare that's allowed and legal, and it's the one thing that allows you to get the first punch in. Ryan. Right? you know, the game has never started until that first scrum comes, and if you win that first blow, it's a massive, massive confidence gainer.
0: And it's a one it's a one area where you can't avoid it. You know, yeah. you can you can move lineouts around to, to to shuffle players. You can move defenders around. You can't move scrummages around. You can't move those around. I absolutely agree with you. And Ben and the the sooner people understand that psyche, you know, and, and what it means, the, the the better. And I hope they do this time just for for completeness sake and to make it a you know a contest. I spoke to to T McGeeken about how he managed his squad in the week after that test, because the difference between facing a second test when you've won and when you've lost Completely different. On the one hand, you've got backs to the wall, and you haven't got it to do be it better. So you've come off the first one. You're happy. Uh, narrow, narrowish win could have been could have been bigger, probably twenty six twenty one. You're going into a second test. What's the message? We
1: knew that we'd had we'd been pretty comfortable the first sort of fifty minutes. Things definitely changed. The momentum changed, and the Lions actually got I reckon finished that game thinking, hey, hang on a sec, we just needed a bit of time together, and you know this is this is really we're on the right track here. So. We knew we were going to be up against it in the second test. And so our, our approach to the second test was we want to start as fast as possible. We want to move everything. We want to get the ball through the hands. We want to go side to side. We want to just try and throw as much super rugby kind of flavor at the game in the first 20 minutes as possible. But that was thrown off the track when Scott Berger got sent off in the first 30 seconds. So then we went from preparing the whole week to speed things up and, and just take the tempo to another level. To slowing things down, playing for time, walking to lineouts, and then we just couldn't get out of that rut. So that first 40 was probably the hardest 40 I have had to manage as a captain. You know, we got properly got properly stuck in, uh, in at halftime in terms of getting guys to wake up and stick back to the plan and, and revert, sort of restart the test match. But probably the most amazing, most intense test match I've ever been a part of—a roller coaster of of momentum and emotions throughout that 18. Yeah, the guys are delighted. I think uh, it was a test match I probably could... We, I don't think we've ever had a, be, a worse start to a test match. And, um, you know, we re, we're really focusing the whole week on, on finishing it up this week. And, you know, the way it started, seemed like a, a tall task. So, some firm words at half-time, but uh, some, some great words at full-time. So, happy, close to the end, but delighted with the result. I think they took a lot of heart out of um, how poor we were in the last 20 minutes last week. And, and um, they, they certainly brought the game to us.
0: He's gone down as one of the most intense and ferocious of all time. You'd have to go back to a few of the unrefereed games earlier on to to look at you know right in the past to to make a comparison. But look, the line seems sort of a number of things there. A lot. Look, look, we can't avoid this. I mean, you've got the Bucky's incident and you've got the Burger incident. When those happened, especially the Burger one, do you think he was going off or not? See, I hadn't seen that incident. I think it was just on the kickoff, you know. So yeah. I hadn't seen the incident,
1: and uh, I didn't actually know what I was defending. But I was defending it with everything I had inside me <laughs> yeah, to the yeah. referee, yeah. you know. So uh, look, he, it was his fiftieth game as well. So you can imagine the emotions of of the second test. He's running out first as well in his fiftieth mm-hmm. game, and and so I guess in hindsight that with with this, with you know you didn't have the the referee, the TV ref, and all that kind of thing happening yeah. at the time. It was. It was certainly the worst kind of start we could ever
0: have planned for. I remember this. I remember just seeing like, decides to kick the board. We're right at the end. And I remember saying afterwards, of all the things yes. that he could have done, there was only one thing that he shouldn't have done. And he could have done anything else, and it have been OK. He could have caught with it. But he did the one thing he shouldn't have done. And, of course, the rest is history. But I think that was a hell of a kick from Monee Stane, wasn't it? A lot of people, you know, people sort of think, oh, it was a definite. Well, it wasn't, was it? it was no.
1: a... I wasn't going to Mornay to begin with, Brian. I was actually looking for France, Spain. Yeah. And Mornay came to me and said, this is my hometown. I know I can make this. And uh, he gave me a little wry smile. I was crapping myself inside, <laughs> to be fair, and, and so grateful that I wasn't the guy that had to take the
0: kick. But he literally stepped up and took the decision away wow. from me, and I said – all yours, mate. That's what you want, isn't it? That's that's great. Blame him later. He asked for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you've you've won a test series, you've made, you've got the revenge for ninety seven. What's the feeling like for that?
1: The last time we felt that good was in Paris, two years yep. ago. Yeah,
0: we we
1: stayed at a place called Monte, uh Monty, just down the road from, from Loftus and and you know, we they actually rented out the entire tops sort of area for us and it was you know, beers and cigars and it was it was, I'll tell you what, it was almost like I think we needed it to vindicate what we'd done two years ago because of the iffy 2008 that we had and the fact that you know, we, we, you know, we got through a World Cup without beating the All Blacks and so those sort of demons sort of hang around. So to be able to, to, to back it up in terms of being able to leave a real legacy behind around a World Cup and a Lions series, that was really what fueled our, our, our excitement and happiness for that, for that result. Uh,
0: and of course, you've got the de Villiers dimension as well. For sure i mean peter was a
1: revelation for us as a group you know he was the right guy at the right time we were a bunch of old blokes who'd been around the block hard to teach sort of old dogs new tricks he could have come in there and try to change everything up but he actually worked with us as people and got his little uh bits and pieces in between there where you know by by treating us like a group of settled players mm-hmm. who, who didn't really want to change a hell of a lot so um it couldn't have been a better combination in terms of of his timing with us. You know, I think there are a number of uh, other coaches that would have come in there and try to put their blueprint on a group like that, and it would have been a disaster. So yeah. it was fantastic.
0: How did that work? Because people have got to understand the changing nature politically, rugby politically in South Africa. You know it takes swings here and there, sometimes it goes in a direction that people all agree is right. Sometimes it doesn't. And, and, they, and of course, any initiative can go wrong and set it back or it can go right like this one did. did you, do you think that had a kick-on effect, for the inclusiveness for the diversity programme and, and the legitimacy of that?
1: Look, Brian, to, to give a, an accurate answer to that is going to take a long time. But what I will say is that this country has got you know, a very interesting path with uh, past with a lot... That has been done, um, you know, if we look at the 70s and 80s. But for us to be able to have been such a young democracy and rugby uh, in the beginning, without a doubt, was an icon of apartheid. You know, the, the Springbok was a team that was for whites only. And we're talking 70s, 80s. That's not a long time ago. So the, the amount of progress that we as a, as a team have made in terms of what it represents in South Africa when it comes to winning three World Cups and we look at that 2019 team of, of representation. Peter de Villiers was a massive part of that transformation and people to accept it. Remember Springbok coach in this country is probably the most contestable title to have. Yeah. I mean, you don't get a Springbok coach that's loved by everyone. It's always 13 different camps. So add color into that as well. It was imperative to everyone involved to support Peter and make it, make it work. And, and he knew that as well, you know, and, and, it's it's funny, you know, when he was managing players, he, he would he would almost be harder on the players of colour than than anyone else because mm-hmm. he didn't want to be seen to be this token mm-hmm. coach of colour. And there, there isn't one person in that four year stint with Peter de Villiers that'll that'll say a bad word about Peter. Every single guy there had probably one of the best four year periods of their life under under his tutelage. So it it was one of the very very important steps in the transformation of what the Springboks means to South Africans in this country, and 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 one has to attribute that as one of the factors that allowed for us to see this very transformative team in twenty nineteen
0: for me and for everybody, this is sport, this is this is what it's all about. This is this is great, you know. So if everything is clear cut in an environment that we are all in, we shouldn't we shouldn't try and and, 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 and prepare even. Um, what what what, what people think and what people say that to us is um, their opinion, and we honour their opinion, um, but it doesn't mean that we will all agree with them, and I think you you share that,
1: that sentiment.
0: It's all wrapped up. You head into the third test, uh, the final game, dominated by the bans for Scott for the eye contact on Luke Fitzgerald. Backies brother, who, who I think, of all the times that Backies could have been banned, and should have been banned. This is probably not one of them. And I remember, wait, who was behind the Justice forearm band?
1: <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting week. You know, it actually started actually the, the, the morning after the celebration on the Sunday because Peter came to me and he wanted to obviously change up the team and, and use everyone and give everyone a chance to be part of the Lions Series. And, and, I, and I, truth be told, I wasn't a fan of that idea. I, I could understand the value that he wanted to give everyone an opportunity. And um, so we we had a, we got a difficult Sunday t- in terms of that, and invariably I lost that argument. So it was it was always going to be a very mixed, a very different starting lineup. Bans to skulk and Bucky's played into the hands of, of all those changes for the third test. Um, but you know that that uh, the justice for all that was a, a big call from us. You know because you're right. I think of all the the. the the guilty actions of bucky sporta it was probably if you were going to make a video textbook of how to clean up that would probably be the best clip you could use you know yeah you know, again that caused a huge amount of disruption i think i spent a good part of four or five hours on an online uh, arbitration with some i think it was a canadian or australian judge who had absolutely no idea of what a clean out was so that that added to my frustration but either way um, it
0: was just us trying to make a point. We spoke to Ian McGeekin, who told us how important he felt it was for the Lions to win the third test so that the touring side uh, four years later inherited a winning jersey. Because he and I, we're big on the Lions, you know, being custodian of the shirt every four years. You get your time in the sun to have your Lions bit. But what goes before and what comes after. You know that's someone else's responsibility. So you, if you want your, if you want to, if you want to be seen as a good lion, you you leave the shirt as well as it can be, knowing that you're only a temporary occupant of it ever. And he he said that he was absolutely desperate to, to do that. Can you remember the feeling? You know, after the final, which he'd lost. What sort of camaraderie, if any, was there with, between the teams? Well, let
1: me first start by saying, you know, even if. I truly believe even if we picked a full strength team well the team that had had, had, had been successful on the first two tests I they were too it was too tight that test series result was too tight it was it wouldn't it wouldn't have been a fair reflection of the two teams on display for it, for it to be 3-0 it was just it was that close i mean that second test it just doesn't get any closer and uh, as far as the um the camaraderie it was probably one of the things that I felt could have been better. If I, if I look back to the '97 and, and what happened there, and I had a small brief encounter. But you know, we, we actually sent out an invite to the British and Irish Lions management weeks before they arrived to invite them into our change room after every Test match just to share a beer, and they sadly declined. So we actually didn't ever have any opportunity to make any friends. So you know, the only, only relationships I've got with some of those players are the ones that I've made through the internationals between each of their countries. But it was it was almost. They almost went out of their way to stay away from us for that mm-hmm. three
0: weeks' run, which I, which I thought was disappointing. Going again back to back to South Africa as as head coach, uh, with the ultimate goal of continuing what we've built on, and also continuing to build the brand and how important that is. I think. The Lions is, like I said, it's, it's unique, it's it's incredibly special, and I want this brand to continue to, yes. to thrive and to go on and to, to be a, a huge part of, of the rugby community. Well, look, let's take this tour up. Similar to 1997, you're going into the tour as reigning world champions, haven't played a game since the final in 2019. And of course, the most atypical of times in terms of coronavirus and what who will be, playing where and what and how and so on. What is the anticipation like for for the tour, the appetite for it in South Africa at the moment?
1: The appetite has been phenomenal since before we won the World Cup two years ago. What to expect? No one has a clue. With South Africans, as you all well know, common sense is probably the least of our qualities. So everyone expects it to be a resounding success. We've got a, a couple of challenges. You know, Our team hasn't played in two years. Uh, it'll probably be the same squad that played two years ago. But the excitement here is, is phenomenal. I mean, what a time to be a pundit because you can't be wrong because no one's got
0: a clue what's <laughs> no, going to happen. Exactly. No one's got a clue. Uh, look, he's going to be paid behind closed doors. Your boys won't have any experience of that, will they? No, the test side, certainly.
1: Test side, definitely not. Um, obviously, we've had our, our boys playing locally here behind, uh, you know, in front of empty stadiums. And I, you know what? I think it's it's probably the saddest thing lost if, when this with the series because yeah. I'll never forget. Brian, when I ran out in Durban, my home my home ground, and I was like beaming with pride and, and waiting for this massive welcome. And I got the sea of red. It's it, it's an experience you just cannot replicate anywhere else. And and I feel for our guys that that they're not going to experience yep. that because that, that that red army is something special. So yep. if anything, you know, it's 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 going to take away from the intensity of what this occasion brings.
0: Razi Erasmus, you know, what, what do you think of the job you know, he's done with the side? For those who might not have seen too much South African rugby, what can we expect from them?
1: Look, I, uh, I don't think that they can stray too far away from, from what they did two years ago. I you know, agree. Razi and Jacques are very much uh, a, a, a processes-driven uh, group and team. Uh, they've kept the players busy, but I don't think that there was there's been too much opportunity to introduce anything massively new in terms. Why of would they of need
0: team. to as well?
1: Uh, yeah, it's, and that's probably why he's going to stick to the the group that he knows best. You know, yeah, he just you know, you've got a lot of youngsters that have come through and shown something exciting, but it's just too big a deal the Lions Series to experiment with anyone that hasn't been part of that group already with Rassie and Jar.
0: So we're coming down to this. They've seen the. Lions squad selection. Were there any surprises? You know, not not for me. There were one or two people who you said, well, he could have been in, he, he maybe not. I can't make a case out for many of the players who have been picked to not be picked. So, you know, it's a decent squad that's coming over. Any any thoughts about it? Uh, I feel for Carl
1: Sinclair. Um, yes, I do, yeah. Uh, I don't think he would have started. I think is, It would have always started uh, the test matches. But I think he would have been a significant impact player to come off the bench. So I, f- I think he's, he can be uh, Billy, I guess, is the other name. But, I mean, you know, Billy hasn't had a great track record against Dwayne Vermeulen in all the test matches mm-hmm. that he's played against. It, you know, That's probably a smart decision, if, albeit hard. Other than that, I thought it was a really good selection. You know, my only maybe concern would be, you know, have they got enough loose heads there to stand up to the array of tight heads that are going to be coming up against them? That, that's probably going to be
0: key. Well, in terms of how the test series pans out, I mean, you have already prefaced this. There isn't a lot that's going to be new to me. You know, they, if the Lions don't get their first principles right in the set piece and accuracy around the breakdown, they can forget anything else. You know, and, and, vi- and probably vice versa, because you know we all know where this is done. But to me, of all the sides, if you don't get your set piece right against South Africa, you will pay. Because they're the sort of side who just say, "We'll keep doing it. So what? We don't yeah. care really. You know, we've got all these weapons outside, chairs and well, you can have the ball later when we've ground drowned them into the dust, uh, and you can play with the ball. You know, when we, when we give it to you. But until now, we'll have 50 minutes, and uh, and you can f- off actually. <laughs> but the, yeah. so I don't think uh, you know. I I think it will be uh, on, on that level. I just wonder. I just wonder how. How quickly South Africa can get back into that sort of, you know, super efficient mode uh, without, yeah, without getting, without, test in the, without in test intensity. We'll just see about that.
1: That is the biggest risk. I think that's probably the, the one thing that really will be a concern to the coaching staff as well. How, you know, to get into that sort of test match intensity, set piece, uh, physicality breakdown. It's, uh, it, doesn't just, it doesn't
0: come over not. Having attended so many by proxy and uh, you know, just as one of uh, only a few people allowed into a stadium, it is a weird sensation. And it is difficult, I think, sometimes to motivate yourself. And that will be interesting because a lot of the players, you know, all the home international players, have played big games, you know, big Six Nations games, in front of nil crowds at the Millennium uh, Stadium where you know, you're echoing around. And it is a bit weird and South Africa be interested in the first test, you know, to see see how they cope with it because it's not normal. Look, it's definitely not normal. I've I've been
1: to a few games as a, as a pundit, and it's the it's, it's eerie, it's horrible. It I mean, is, I, I just, yeah. I, I could think of nothing worse than playing in front of absolutely nothing. And the other thing that would worry me, and purely selfishly as a hooker slash guard, it's in charge of lineouts, is. You've got to, you, you, the opposition hears every single thing yes. you say. You know? you've yes. got to, so you've got to think about all, all your calls. You've got to think about how you don't allow them to decode your line out format. It's just so many more things for these players to be aware of than, than in our time.
0: Who do you think are final, Joe? Who do you think your favorites?
1: I would, you know, it's an old story, and Jake always used to do this before every test, and he got him into a spot of bother with Ireland back in 2005, I think it was. But, you got to put down the starting 15, what you think is going to play for the Lions, and then put down your starting 15, which will probably be very close to what you saw in, in Tokyo. And then you sort of look and see which, which guys would be able to filter through both teams. And if your number is stronger on the Lions side, there's your favorite. And if it's on the box side, there's there's my favorite. So... That's that's I think an exercise that every pundit should probably do from both sides to try and, and, and to try and give a neutral view on, on favourites.
0: That that works sometimes. Did you ever hear the England story with Clive Woodward about them first in New Zealand and he said look look down this all and look down out, there's not one player I would swap. And Tentative and got cover off the back said, Can we swap Austin Healy for Jonah Lomu, please? <laughs> 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 which is a fact
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like Brian it's when Stefan de Blanche played his first test against the All Blacks yeah. so he, the night before he's, he's crapping himself and he says to Gary Taj he says what should I do in the haka? what should I do so he says you know what when you look at your opposition the eye, you find him and you just stare him down you let him know you're coming for him for 80 minutes so his eyes grew bigger and bigger and Tysh said so who are you playing against he goes Jonah he says don't
0: do that with Jonah. You can take Randall. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, mate, I, mean, I tell you what, the real pity is, you know, I, I'm not out there to, to, to tap you up for a beer afterwards, you know, and so no one else is. And that's a, as I say, we, we preface this, that's a real shame. But let's hope that the, the, the series, apart from that, comes off with a lot of integrity. Let's hope the games are great. Let's hope, uh, you know, that they're, they're close and so on. Thank you very much, Absolutely. mate. Pleasure, Brian. Go well, mate. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, that's all we have time for. A huge thank you to John Schmidt for speaking to me, especially in the unguarded and candid manner that he did. You don't always get people uh, like quite as, as, uh, as honest as that. Look, remember to subscribe to the Full Contact podcast. And remember this, subscription is not about paying. It just means registering. So just tell what, tell what, remember to register. For the full contact podcast channel. To keep up to date with all our episodes during the Lions tour this summer, you'll also find last week's episode of Brian's Lions with the great Sir Ian McGeeken, and that's there too. For now, though, it's goodbye. Mm-hmm.